Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. I'd just like to uh, introduce my favourite preacher, Tim. <laughs> Fan asked me how he should introduce me, and that's why I said. Um, so good morning again, everyone. It is great to have you here with us, um, especially if you are here for the dedications um, of Josiah. Um, we really do love having people come visit, um, and we are trying to make a place here which uh, is comfortable for people in uh, to be in who are exploring faith, who are even sceptical of faith. So if you fall into either of those two categories this morning, then you are more than welcome to be here. If you are just here because you're showing support for Philly Nietzsche, well, you are very welcome too. Um, at the very least from today, you get an insight into their life and their faith, kind of why they do what they do, why they live the way that they live. And there's some free food afterwards, so you can't really say further than that, can you? Um, but yeah, we are normally, uh, on a Sunday, we are going through a series as a whole church. So we are a church that meets in four, sometimes five locations each Sunday. And normally, week by week, we are in the middle of a series. Our series at the moment is um, a series called The Visions of God. Um, but we are not doing that today. Once a term, we get the opportunity uh, each service to talk about something that's a little bit more specific to the service. Um, so last term, Jax and I kind of laid out the vision for what we're trying to do here. If you missed that, you can find that on our website, christchurchlondon.org forward slash Stockwell. Go down to the bottom and you can find a link to the talk we did there. Um, and in that talk, we spoke about how we're trying to kind of outwork the, the big vision of Christchurch. So Christchurch has a vision to be in London and to help people explore and find and grow in faith all at the same time as um, being a blessing to the city that we are in because we love London and we talked about how we're trying to do that in our particular areas of South London um, and we also were talking about how we want our focus to be on the service the, the people that we are becoming and the community that we are becoming rather than on just the things that we're going to try and do and try and achieve so we talked about being a community that sees the value in everyone being a community that actually knows one another, takes the time to know one another and know the people that we live amongst and work amongst, and uh, to be a community that always speaks truth in love to one another. And it is that kind of speaking truth in love that I want to talk about a little bit more today, just very, very briefly. So I've been thinking a lot lately just about how powerful our words are, the words that we say to one another, the words that we say over one another, the words that we say about one another, these are all really powerful, powerful things. I guess you've all heard the saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. I mean, that's just rubbish, isn't it? I mean, we all know that. I don't know how that came about. I don't know how it became so popular, but that is just not true in any, any way. Words have the ability to inflict far greater pain than broken bones. And I say that as someone who broke this wrist, jumping out of a moving car at a music festival in order to impress a girl. I mean, that was the most painful and probably stupid thing that I've ever, ever done. It was so, so painful. Going at 30 miles an hour and trying to stop yourself like that is not a good idea. And so the bone almost came all the way through my wrist. So that was painful, felt sick instantly. And then the drive to the hospital over bumpy roads, that was painful painful at the hospital where they had to like five nurses and doctors had to pull my arm both ways in order to reset the bone that was painful but you know what that pain lasted for a few days at most within a few weeks I was completely healed up and now I just have this amazing anecdote because the girl I was trying to impress became my wife how about that <laughs> don't know what that says about her but there you go <laughs> so yeah 
that physical pain, like it happens, you get through it and you're over. But pain that comes through words, I mean, that can stay with you, can't it? That kind of thing can live inside. That kind of thing can change the way you view yourself, the way you view God, the way you view the world. That kind of can even trap you into ways of thinking that aren't good for you or good for one another. But then on the flip side, I'd imagine that most of us can remember moments in our life where people said something to us that completely changed the way we view the world. Maybe it was a book you were reading, or maybe it was someone that's, uh, something that someone prayed over you. I, I bet if we went around the room, we could all think of those moments that impacted us like they were yesterday. I mean, I still remember where I was when I read certain things in books. I can picture myself on my sofa in one of my old flats reading this book called Wild at Heart, which I, some of you may remember, and just thinking, wow, God loves me in a way that I hadn't thought before. These words just kind of came and changed something. I'm sure all of us have those moments where conversations just spark something in us, or we've come away feeling, wow, things could be different. This is amazing. And then kind of in between those two extremes, I guess you have the everyday words, the words that we hear all the time, the words that are spoken to us, and they can have a cumulative effect, can't they? They can either help us grow into the people God made us to be, or they can actually stop that growth. I don't know if you've seen the film The Help. I love this film. I own this film. It's uh, set in the 1960s in very segregated America, and it's the story of two African-American women, Abilene and Minnie, who are both housemaids in white families in a very segregated situation. And one of the most well-known scenes from the film is this next scene. It's of Abilene and little Mae Mobley. So this is the girl that she looks after. She loves her like she is her own daughter. Um, and every day she kind of wakes her up, goes into the room, wakes her up, sits her on her knee, and she looks her in the eye and she makes her repeat this. She says, I is smart, I is kind, I is important, because they're from Mississippi, that's my Mississippi accent. <laughs> and so this little girl says this back to her, I is kind, I is smart, I is important. And this becomes kind of their daily mantra, the thing that she says to her every single day. It's like Abilene is trying to sink this truth deep down into May Mobley's heart. Because unfortunately, May Mobley's mum, she's not a great mum. She's a young mum. She doesn't really know what she's doing, doesn't seem to care at all. She hasn't, even at like three years old, not meeting her mum's expectations. So Abilene takes it upon herself to speak words of life and encouragement into her. Uh, last Christmas, I was given a light box. Like, don't know what I was going to do with a light box. I have nothing to sell to any kind of millennial. So I don't need a light box. What do I need a light box for? But then I remembered this film and I thought, maybe we could use this and we'll put it in our girls' room. So our girls are five and three, they share a room. I thought, maybe we could use this to do what Abilene did for May Mobley. We can kind of inception style, get this stuff into them day by day. So obviously it works quite well with a five-year-old who can read, three-year-old can't read, so not quite so good. Um, but sister tells her what's going on, so that's fine. So yeah, we've put stuff like this. I am loved and treasured. I am strong and beautiful. I am kind and brave. I am a work of art. You've only got so many letters that you can fit into this. <laughs> Um, so you have to be quite creative in what you can get. But these are the kind of things that we want to sink down deep into our girls' hearts. The things that we want them to know without knowing. That they just live with. That they can go out into the world with this secure inside themselves. Because words have that kind of power, don't they? They have a power to change us from the inside out. And this idea of words being powerful, having kind of real-world consequences on people is something that is found throughout the Bible over and over in the scriptures, we are told that our words can either bring life and hope and encouragement and unity and healing and wisdom, 
or they can bring the opposite of all of those things. In the book of Proverbs alone, which is part of the wisdom literature of the Bible, there are over a hundred Proverbs dedicated to the way that we speak, the way that we use our words. For example, we're told that the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. The lips of the righteous feed many. The tongue of the wise promotes health. Our words have the potential to be life-giving water, or like food to the undernourished, or like medicine to the sick of heart. A couple of weeks ago, um, I read two books by this goofy-looking American lawyer called Bob Goff. That's just a great smile. Um, so Jacks have been at the Colour Conference, which is the Hillsong Women's Conference, and Bob Goff was one of the speakers there, and um, uh, my sister was with her, and she kindly brought us a couple of books, and she brought them home, and I read them both within a couple of days. They're really easy reads, and they're really inspiring, which is like a, and they're short as well. Like, great combination for books, so thoroughly recommend them. Um, so two books, Love Does and Everyone Always. Um, and Bob Goff is a lawyer who became the American consul for the Republic of Uganda because of the work that his charity Love Does was doing in Uganda, going in and freeing thousands of children who were kept in Ugandan prisons with no hope of any trial to release them. Um, but on top of that, he is a guy who just lived life to the full. He's a guy that is full of mischief. He is full of adventure um, and just has this deep desire to love people in very practical ways and often very whimsical ways as well. And you get a sense from his books that he spends his whole time with this kind of smile on his face. I'm sure that that's not true. I'm sure he has his down days. But you get this sense this is how he lives his life. Um, so he tries uh, one time to um, put enough helium balloons on an eight-year-old to see if they can lift him off the ground, which they did. Um, he took his friend who was dying of cancer to go and toilet paper a neighbor's house because he'd never done that. That was kind of her last dying wish. So they go and throw toilet paper all over this house and the police pull up and he kind of claims diplomatic immunity because he can do that because he's like the consul to the Ugandan Republic. Um, and then he invited the Chief Justice of Uganda's Supreme Court to Disney World. He has an office in Disney World. It's not actually an office. He actually goes where, there to work. And so he invites them over and he tells them that on the first try, or the first day you're there, everyone has to wear the Mickey Mouse ears the whole day. And so you have the Chief Justice of Uganda's Supreme Court wearing these Mickey Mouse ears the whole day, but it's on and the island that he works on that they hatch this plot to rescue all of these kids out of Ugandan prisons. As I said, it is a really good read. Really recommend it. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, in one of the stories, he talks um, in Everybody Always about the story about how he came friends with this guy called Adrian. So he says Adrian was in his mid-60s at the time, about five foot nothing on his tiptoes, um, and he worked in um, Bob Goff's local airport. And Bob does loads of traveling all over the United States, so he's always flying in and out pretty much in the same day. And so he sees this guy dozens of times over a few weeks. Um, and he is the guy that checks everyone's ID at the front of the line. So he's kind of the reason for the long line. So you have this long line of stress commuters um, taking out all of their aggression on Adrian. But Adrian just treats all of them with love and respect. And Bob was fascinated by this person who was able to treat everyone the same. Didn't matter if they were distracted by life, frustrated by the way, excited about leaving or sad about leaving. They all got the same smile and the same welcome from Adrian. And so one day as Bob nears the front of the line, he thinks to himself, I want to thank this kind man for the way that he treats us, for the way that he welcomes strangers like me every day. So when he gets to the front of the line, he hands him his ID in his left hand. And in his right hand, he just holds out his hand. He says, hi, I'm Bob. I've passed you dozens of times. And I just want to thank you for the way that you treat each person in the same way. It's really amazing. 
the way that you welcome all of us, I think reminds me of the way that Jesus loved people. Like just really simple, nothing kind of overly eloquent or profound. This is just what he says to him. And as soon as Bob says this, Adrian's eyes start to well up. And he hands back his ID and he takes a step forward and he puts both of his arms around him. His head kind of comes up to Bob's chest. So he like says into his shirt, hi, I'm Adrian. And they just hug. And Bob says it's like they're kind of slow dancing <laughs> for a couple of awkward seconds at the front of a long line of commuters who are all waiting, like, why are we stopped for this? But it's just this incredible moment of speaking gratitude for someone, to saying, I've noticed you. I've noticed how you live, and I just want to say that is amazing, and I'm so thankful for that. And that one simple sentence started a friendship which continued over the next few months, three minutes at a time. So every time Bob got to the front of the queue, they just chat. Like, what's going on in your life? How are your family? How's that house you're buying? And their friendship built over time, and then they started hanging out together, and they even spent um, Christmases together as a family. And that all started from this moment of Bob looking at him and seeing something, and instead of just, like, observing it, actually speaking it. And these words of life created something that wasn't there before, created this friendship. Don't you want to be like, like that? To live like that, to be someone who doesn't just observe stuff, but speaks it out, that encourages people, that builds stuff into people. Because the world is just so full of negativity, isn't it? I mean, spend any time on social media, and especially Twitter, it's negative almost the whole time. Just other people trying to build themselves up by putting other people down. Or maybe not even that, just we've all got our own stuff, we're all kind of stuck in our own heads and people just aren't observing anything. Or if they are, they're just too scared to say anything. But we can have the most amazing impact on people just by speaking out the things that we see. Taking the time to look someone in the eye and say, I see you. I see the good that is in you. I see what you are doing and I think that is great. Thank you for being you. Thank you for doing that. I see the life of Jesus in you. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to be part of a community that does that the whole time, that lives like that, where everyone is committed to seeing the good in one another rather than the bad, of calling that out? Because it's very easy, and I find this very easy. It's easy to criticize, isn't it? That's the thing that, I mean, it may just be my temperament, but that's the thing that comes to mind the whole time, that things aren't going well. It's easy to say that. It's much harder, I think, to actually engage with what is going well and to say it. And I don't know if that's a cultural thing, I don't know if that's a British thing, that we just don't like doing this, but let's become those type of people. Let this be a place where we encourage one another. And encourage literally means to put courage into one another, to encourage people for the life that we are to live. You get the stuff that you celebrate, so let's celebrate the good that is in one another. And wouldn't it be great to, not just to commit to that in here, but to commit to that out there? on the school gate, at work, with our friends, in our neighborhood, in the shops, wherever we see people doing great things, just to say, I've seen that. That's great. You're great. We could do that, couldn't we? I mean, that's a relatively easy thing. That's not complex in any way, is it? But I think that's the kind of thing that changes a community, that can change the feel of a place that we live in. You know, thinking about the power of words, I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that the Bible places such an emphasis on the power of words, considering the way it describes how the universe came into being in the first place. Remember Genesis 1, the first book of the Bible. We're told that God spoke the universe into being. Let there be light, he said, and there was light. Let there be day and night, and there was. Let there be sky and water and land, and there was. Let there be animals and fish and plants and birds, 
and there was. And then God says, let us make mankind in our own image. Men and women in the divine uh, image. And the scripture says that God formed them and then breathed life into them. The thunderous voice of God roared creation into being and then whispers us into being. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He shouted the universe into being and then with us, he whispers, he breathes life into us. So right from the beginning of the Bible, you have this idea of the creativity, the power of words, their ability to bring about a whole universe to cause flourishing and abundance. This isn't something that God just did once and kind of just shut up. This is who God is. He is a God who speaks, a God who speaks life, a God who speaks creativity. In one of the Apostle Paul's letters to the early church communities in Rome, this is what he says. He says, God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that are not. Isn't that a great line? God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. I read that and it brings to mind Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who is dead, and just saying, Lazarus, come forth. I don't know why I have to say that in kind of King James, but it's in my mind, that's what it is. Lazarus, come forth. And what happens? He gets up and walks out fully alive again. Or about the time where Jesus goes to this little girl who's died, lying in bed, and he reaches to her and he says, sweetheart, it's time to get up now. And she gets up. His words bring life back into her. God is the God who, by his word, gives life back to the dead. But not just that, he is the God who calls into being things that were not. So in this part of Paul's letter, he's talking about Abraham and Sarah, who are all the way back in Genesis, early part of Genesis, and God has promised them that through them that he's going to bless the whole world through their descendants. Only problem is that they are childless and both getting on uh, almost 100 years old. But then God speaks. He speaks life. He speaks Isaac into life. Isaac, the child of laughter, is brought about by God's word. And we see this time and time again. It seems to be a kind of a pattern all the way through the scriptures of women who can't have children and God speaking and children appearing. And I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a spiritual metaphor for us in that. I think there's a metaphor is that all of us have this unfulfilled spiritual potential that God has to call out of us, that we all have the potential for life that God needs to speak into existence. Because in the creation account in Genesis, we learn that even though our first parents, Adam and Eve, were made in the image of God, divine image bearers, made for relationships of love and mutual delight, made to create and invent and bring order to creation, made to steward it with justice and grace, that that divine image was corrupted, that it was spoiled, when instead of living with and for God, they decided to live by themselves and just for themselves. And that corruption or that spoiling of the divine image has been passed down through the generations to each one of us. So at the same time, we are made in the image of God, and yet that image has been marred, it has been spoiled. And it's like we have this spiritual potential, but we are barren, and we need someone to speak life into us. And one way to understand the kind of the narrative arc of the whole of the scriptures, kind of the big story over all of it, is that it is a story of God's attempt to return all of us to full image-bearing status, to rescue humanity from the things that have corrupted us and stop us living the lives he created us to live, that stop us being the people he intended us to be, to bring spiritual life out of our spiritual barrenness. In other words, to call things into being in us that are not 
but that could be. You see this clearly, I think, in the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. Gideon's story uh, starts with the Israelites having once again walked away from God. They do this all the way through Judges, actually all the way through the Old Testament. They're always walking away from God and God rescues them and brings them back. And they walk away, get in loads of trouble and God rescues them and bring them back. And in this period where they've walked away from God and they're living under the oppression of the Midianites who have basically enslaved the whole people. And we first meet Gideon hiding in fear beating out um, wheat in a wine press. So wine presses were kind of sunk into the ground, and so he's hiding. I mean, you don't beat out wheat in a wine press. You beat it out where the wind can take the chaff away. So he's scared, he's hiding, fearful of stuff being taken from him. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him, and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Now, at this point, Gideon is anything but a mighty warrior. I mean, he is in fear for his life. He's hiding away. He's a farmer. He's nothing like a mighty warrior. I mean, Gideon goes on to point this out to the angel. He says, of all the clans, our clan is the least warrior-like. And of all the people in our family, I am the least warrior-like. Are you sure you've got the right guy? And God says, yes, I've got the right guy. And he's still not convinced. And he kind of asks for these two miraculous signs to prove it to him, even though there's an angel standing in front of him and speaking to them. Like, this is so far from him. His idea about himself is like, this can't be me. But then it kind of slowly, I think, starts to sink in. Maybe what God is saying about me is true. Maybe the hiding in the wine press guy, maybe that's not really me. Maybe the mighty warrior guy, maybe that is really me. And then Gideon starts to engage with the word of God, starts to believe it, starts to live as if it is true. And the word of God changes him, changes him from this scared farmer into this mighty warrior. And he leads the people of Israel in this amazing victory against the Midianites and goes on leading the whole nation for a number of years. God speaks into being things in Gideon that were not, but then became a reality. He calls the real Gideon into being. He calls the divine image-bearing Gideon into being. The Gideon who is full of faith and full of courage and is willing to fight for the freedom of those he loved, that's the guy God calls into being. See, that other Gideon, that wasn't really him. That was a shadow of him. That was him corrupted and spoiled. That was him locked up in this tiny little way of living and believing. But then God spoke to him and his message was effectively, become who you are. Become who I made you to be. And his word is powerful and created. The same word that brought the universe into being brings Gideon into being. He has spoken into being. And God still does that today. That's what his word does for us today. When we read the scriptures, when we think about God speaking, that is what happens to us. He starts to speak us into being. And the amazing thing is that we get to speak that over one another. Whenever we speak the word of God to one another, that is what we join in. We kind of join with that ability to speak people into being. Because all of us have our shadow selves. All of us have this kind of corruption of the divine image. All of us in living a ways that there's not freedom, where we think the wrong things and believe the wrong things and living the wrong way. But when the word of God is spoken over us, spoken into us, we start to change. And we get to do that to one another. We get to speak that over one another and the people around us. Isn't that incredible? This amazing gift. 
Oh, no. There we go. This amazing gift that we have been given. How about we say, let's be that community. Let's be that community that speaks life into being, that sees one another, not as we are, but as we could be. That doesn't focus on the shadow part of us, but focuses on the glory part of us. Us fully engaged in relationship with God, us fully believing all that he has said about us and about himself. And let's speak that. Let's be a community that speaks over one another, speaks words of life over one another. I wonder if I can have the band back. Just a short one today. And the amazing thing is the Christian life isn't just a response to the words of God, it's a response to the word of God. So we're told in the, the scripture that Jesus is the word made flesh. So this life-giving, creative word of God was embodied in a person. And that is who we're invited to. Yes, we are invited to engage with the words of God, but we're also invited into relationship. It's as we speak about Jesus, the one who came and embodied the message. And what is the message? That God loves us, that he is for us, that he would move heaven and earth in order to be with us. And not just that, but there is power to change us. If you are sitting here this morning thinking, there's, yes, there's a me I want to be, but there's a me that I know that I am. Allow Jesus to speak over you the truth of who you are. This, this is not you. This is not the real you. This, this is the real you. And we get to do that. And so we're going to just spend some time reflecting upon that in this part of the service. We always worship again. It's just an opportunity to sing some songs about Jesus, sing some truth. It's amazing the way that singing truth can get that into us as well. And we get to reflect. We get to reflect upon what he has said about us. And my prayer is that as we do this, as we sing these songs and think about it, that there will be some truth that the Holy Spirit will drop into your hearts today. It may be here that there are some people who've been living with words spoken over them that are just not words of God. They are words that have got in, like kind of a barb in your heart. And it's really hard. You just can't remove it. And it's, it's meaning that you are struggling, that you are stunted. And God just wants to speak healing over you today. He wants to speak freedom over you today. He wants to release you from that, to release you into who you are. Or maybe you are here and you're thinking, actually, I, I, want, I want to be the kind of person that speaks that way. Maybe you could start thinking about that. God, God give me opportunity. Like Bob Goff. Just the, ne the next cue I'm at the front of, just to say something. Or to my friends. I mean, it's easy to start with our friends sometimes. Just the people around us. Why don't we think, what can I say to encourage them? The them, the real them that I can see and call out. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.